equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This way with good intention uh, Welcome to 1 of 200 Another week of 1 of 200 The New Zealand International Independent News Media Politics Podcast We talk about all the things you love to hear about you're here with your host, Philip. I'm back after a completely unearned hiatus. Uh, and with consistent host who actually shows up, Kyle. How are you doing, Kyle? Yeah, good, actually. Feeling consistent. Lovely, yeah. Amazing, amazing work. And we have Rusty back. Rusty, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Nice to have someone from Wellington to diversify, uh, represent the the minority. Uh, <laughs> good to see you. Okay, it's been a... A weird and boring kind of week in New Zealand politics. Uh, we're just starting to talk about the fact that basically nothing interesting has happened, you know, partly by design, because the campaign proper is only kicking off as far as the major parties seem to be concerned this weekend. Uh, we're speaking on the 2nd of September 2023. So despite the fact that it feels like the campaign's been kind of building for a while for people who actually care about politics, probably a lot of people are only just starting to notice that there are big billboards on the corner of their street. And wondering why that is and tuning into the six o'clock news to find out all the most boring possible facts about minor MPs they've never heard about, which is what the establishment media seems intent on focusing upon to the exclusion of uh, policy. So really, the only major thing that seems to have happened this week with any kind of ramifications or potential kind of substantive outcomes is the national tax plan, which we're going to talk about a little bit and sort of spin off from that to see what kind of impact that might have on the campaign and a few related things. Um, so do you want to start off, Kyle, by talking about your reaction to the way it was announced and uh, what's changed over the last week? Yeah, it sucked. Um, and it immediately sucked. One of the really interesting shifts as we've come closer and closer to campaign, uh, and I'm not sure how, how much the wider media-consuming public uh, will have been aware of this, but certainly anyone who's in the politics and media space will have, is that scrutiny of the right-wing parties has increased, which is fantastic. Like It's what I've been bitching about uh, all year because it's been significantly in the other direction to an extent that I've probably never seen um, un until now. And so this tax plan dropped. There were the immediate PR lines uh, about you know, how much is going to be in your back pocket, some of this perception poll stuff, like, oh, voters won't care about the details. They just want that extra $20. And then very, very quickly, uh, the media started to turn on it. One of the, I'm going to get into perception politics stuff now because I think it's useful as a frame for analysis and the way that it's being approached and communicated to the electorate. But one of the more interesting uh, parts of it is that National tried to fudge the numbers by changing everything to fortnightly numbers as opposed to weekly numbers to make it sound like uh, people would be getting more money. It was initially reported and then all of a sudden that you saw a whole bunch of media people on Twitter like, wait a second, <laughs> that's only like $13 a week. My, my immediate response on Twitter was to give a comparison between the coverage of the Greens, Labour and National Tax Plans. And, and initially, you know, the, the green stuff hasn't been covered at all. I, I want to be very clear about that. It's very, very sparse coverage. It's also the best current tax plan available. Um, the labor tax plans were just slaughtered um, because they were pretty, I mean, they kind of deserved it. But you probably had a week of wall-to-wall -wall coverage with like eight economists sitting around in a panel saying why it was bad. Um, lots of appeals to authority uh, and trying to drive it down after... There had been this perception that it would be popular with the with the electorate, if not with anyone else. Uh, and I initially said that the national tax plan was just getting like decent positive coverage based on national zone PR, but that did shift. That did shift, and I was pleasantly surprised uh, to see that. In terms of the details, man, I'm going to pass it to you, Rusty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, thanks. Um... Right. I want to start this off by saying we called it. We were right. Um, I remember we were talking, it might have been a month ago now, about why National had waited 
as long as they have to launch their tax plan. And I think the call that they were struggling to make the numbers add up with what they knew at the time um, absolutely sits behind um, both the, the timing of this, the substance of it, so in terms of what tax policies they've announced, um, and the way they have modelled it to make the numbers work, which I think maybe we'll come into that. That's been part of the, the coverage of it. Um, so the, I mean, the most, I think the, the piece that's got the most attention has been um, the tax on foreign buyers uh, of homes over $2 million. I want to, I just want to check in quickly on that one. If we say the term foreign buyers, that means we're the worst racists possible, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I look it is it does play oh, I've stumped you there are legitimate reasons why you might not want to make it easy for international investors to buy houses in New Zealand there's limited additional value we're not capital starved in the housing sector but I also can't deny that a lot of the motivation behind wanting that ban is not coming from a good place with everyone who supports it. And it is worth saying before talking about the tax part of this, repealing in the um, 2020 election electoral study, repealing the foreign buyer ban was the least popular policy of all of the ones that they polled on. I think it's like 70, 80% of people either opposed or strongly opposed. It is, admittedly, it was 2020. We were in a very kind of inward-looking xenophobic mood as a country at the time for uh, reasons, but it was, it is incredibly unpopular, and for National to be able to tax foreign buyers of homes, they need to repeal that ban. Admittedly, they're only going to do it for houses over $2 million, but like in Auckland, that's a slightly above average house and a good street. So yeah, I, it's, it's weird and it's marginal. They want to, I had to double check the rate they've put out is 25%, which is, I mean, that, that <laughs> apply that to all land and it's like a Georgia sweat dream, but there's like, yeah, anyway, really, really large amount. And the assumptions they have had to make to make it work, and I think this is where to defend the honour of our economist um, friends, picking through the assumptions that sit behind the, the um, I think, $600 million figure that they reckon this would bring in in terms of the number of properties they would needing would be needing to sell and the um the average values if you look at all the levels of buying we had pre um the ban being introduced i think in 2018 that gets you to i think 50 million dollars and they're saying that this is going to be worth 600 <laughs> um and that's ignoring the fact that you've made all of these 25% more expensive by imposing the tax. Um, that's 15%. Uh, 15%, sorry. I mean, it's still you. a lot, right? That's that's, yeah, a, you're, that's a terrifying number for, you know, but you're right, like as, as perception politics, like being able to say we will start taxing X as opposed to mm. saying we will legalize X and therefore be able to tax it is... You know, will, a heroic, a heroic com switch up there with, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a heroic com switch, but also the counter messaging of national is going to pay for its tax cuts by selling homes to, you know, greedy international investors. Um, yeah. So that's, that was kind of the main pillar, the boring bit, which I don't, we could get into the policy context of, but I don't think anyone cares is uh, reversing depreciation allowances on commercial property, um, which you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I think the one that I find the most sus, especially when you learn about how they got the data for it, is the oh, yeah. tax on um, international gambling websites, which Labour were very quick to point out already is subject to GST. And so their assumption that it was paying no tax was incorrect. Um, but the fact that the main data behind the um, revenue figures from that came from Sky City, who just happened to provide it to the National Party for their analysis. Oh, interesting and protectionist. Protectionist and just like, you know, wanting to, to squash your competitors. Um, and I think it would be fun at some point to just do the rundown of the list of national donors and 
whose interests they serve. Another thing that sort of popped up this week was the ongoing saga about the, um, God, what's the development called? Um, Mian, Meacham, something like that, out, out in Ardmore, um, which has been tied up in litigation with Kayanga Order for years and is um, now donating significant sums of money to the National Party to get them to come out and say supportive things. So anyway, uh, getting sidetracked. So yeah, um, that's great. Let's encourage more people to gamble online um, so that we can expand the tax base there. And yeah, so these, these are the kind of um, major pillars of the on the tax side. Then the they've I, I I love the term revenue revenue measures um, that they've introduced. Yeah, instead of a tax, right? Like well, come, instead come of ta- instead of tax or just outright cuts. Um, and I think the the worst one and the one that I find just cruel is there's the only word for it is the repeal of the discounted um, public transport services for under twenty fives community service card holders. Uh, and total mobility card holders. And I've been impressed with the Greens comms on this, you know, um, taking away people with mobility issues, access to cheaper public transport to pay for tax cuts for landlords. Um, it's as stark as it gets, and that's exactly what National have done. Um, and there's no argument. They can cut like an argument. Like, it's, and they haven't even yeah. tried. No, no. So I think the the random grab bag of taxes that they found is that they had you know, Willis and Luxon had previously made commitments about the kind of tax cuts they were going to offer, particularly repealing um, the interest deductibility uh, amount um, for uh, rental uh, properties. Separate debate about whether that's good or not. Let's not go there today. But they've committed to doing that. They've committed to their other, um, you know, weighted to the top of the uh, tax bracket um, cuts. And there's no money to pay for it. And they've had to make these just absolutely laughable assumptions um which i don't think anyone i've seen i mean even matthew hooten doesn't think they're credible um so yeah i and i think it's just part of the same bind labor are in that the current level of expected public services on the current tax base is not sustainable and so you're just forced into these contorted fictions to to try to run an election on tax cuts unless you tax wealth right like the greens numbers make a lot of sense and even the most kind of critical right-wing economists look at them and say well it's internally consistent like i don't like it but you could do that like that would be a way to gather billions of dollars and redistribute it i was thinking kind of the easiest way to you know one line this election is like if you want tax cuts vote national if you want wages to continue to increase vote labor and if you want both, then vote green. Like that's, you know, they're doing both at once. And unless you're a millionaire with a house, like owned outright, then really like it's not hurting you. I think we'd also be remiss to not mention like people could just borrow. Like, and by people, I mean the government. Like, I mean the government, yeah. You know, we, we have we have headroom. There's so much like, we've got this ludicrous austerity framework around the way we do politics here. It's just been intensifying for years now, ever since Shaw and Robertson did the um, budget responsibility rules. We're well within uh, like OECD numbers to just be like, okay, we need infrastructure. Let's, let's pay for it. You know, I also want to take money off the very rich um, on top of that, but there are, there are plenty of options here uh, and national and labor have both, kind of contorted themselves into this place where they look like idiots and ineffectual and to make the kind of i guess i guess obvious comparison like the the targeted stuff that nationals say saying they're getting rid of as rusty was saying like the half price public transport for uh, mobility issues younger people community service community card holders that has a flow-on effect as well right like they they try to pretend like these targets are just very specific kind of groups of people but, you know, every kid that is now not able to catch the bus and their parents driving them to uni or whatever, that's a car on the road. Like, this is a gridlocked public transport system we already have, um, which, you know, fortunately will allow the National Party to say, oh, we need more roads now. <laughs> but that's another uh, that's another issue. But these things have flow-on effects, right? That's just refusing to look at the system in its entirety um, and actually grapple with um, the outcomes of the specific kind of comms workshop policies that they think is uh, is going to play well with the public. And it's just kind of embarrassing. Like it's it's really not 
a smart National Party campaign so far. I mean, things might change, right? But I mean, Chris is running it. He's a fucking idiot. It, it does seem amazing, right? Like these are the these are the credible, you know, quote unquote credible kind of economic managers, and they're coming out with numbers that economics that economists are saying don't add up because they very plainly don't. And they're coming out with policies that comms people are saying are like some of the least popular things you could be choosing to do. It's it's bizarre. It's kind of the worst of both worlds, right? Bring back um bring back Stephen Joyce is what I say. <laughs> this is an embarrassment. Well, Rusty, you've mentioned it before, but like it really is seeming like a situation where there are certain things that national is having to push despite their unpopularity. And you come back to where's the money for their campaign coming from? And you can draw some pretty pretty strong conclusions about why they're having to approach the campaign with this policy. And I don't think you need to get into like, oh, there's this evil secret cabal of kind of the... Um, no, because it's know, all on paper. The, the no, you can look it's it up. All on, it's, it's all on paper. And it is National's reason for existing. They are the party of domestic petty capital. And then enough of the, the property-owning electorate um, to maintain a majority this is and if you you know in a in a non-confrontational way talked about it i don't think they would deny this that that fact it is you know they are the party of business um but the 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 solutions that they have to the problems we face just don't stack up and you're right i think the the campaign so far i i know it sounds like kind of cope i mean uh, to be fair, they are overwhelmingly likely to win this election. I, I, I think we need to remember that. Um, but the fact that it is as close as it is, and it's largely off the back of support for New Zealand First and Act that is getting the, the right block um, over the line. We are in a recession at the moment. Do, do, do people remember that, that that happened? <laughs> um, admittedly, it's probably a technical one that we will be out of by the 17th of November, um, unfortunately, three days after the election, um, when we rebound from the effect, impacts of uh, the um, floods and cyclones in, in, uh, of summer. But um, shit's real bad. The fact that the Labour Party are within a, I think, call it 5% overall swing of retaining power, I think speaks to the weaknesses of, of National's strategy overall um, and the fact that they are somewhat underbaked um, as, a, as an opposition. Somehow. Yeah. Like, after, they've Still. got a lot of people there have been there for a long time who should be a lot better at this. It's Yeah, it's unreal, right? It does, it does feel like, I mean, people are, People have pointed out accurately, I think, that it feels like Labour's trying to lose this election, right? They're, they're playing such a small target, you know, we're the underdog kind of strategy whilst having a majority of the seats in Parliament. And it's very hard to disguise that fact. Um, but National is also acting like they're kind of trying to lose this election. Like, when they do announce things, they're still being walked back consistently. Like, Luxon's got better at quote-unquote performing according to, like, media metrics, right? But the, the things he's saying are trash and like, they're not even good by their own. The things he's saying, are, I standards. think you'll find it actually very clear. No, actually, actually, what I'm saying to you is uh, I'd like to lose this election by any means necessary. It's 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 fucking embarrassing. Right. And like Christopher Hipkins, you know, ideologically, obviously, I disagree with him, but he's going to still going to decimate Luxon in the in the debates. Um, and who knows if that makes a difference, like. I agree, you know, if I had to bet on something, I'd say probably National Act government by like one or two seats um, after the election from the way things are looking. But it is it is incredible how badly the National Party is also sort of attempting to to do. Like, why why are these two major parties so excited to lose this election? What's, what's going on? Here's my um, strategic analysis, um, or at least a possible one. Uh, and we've, we've mentioned this previously as well. Uh, we know there's a lot of money on the right at the moment. Uh, and we know that our, our media and the kind of electoral space um, and, you know, billboards and stuff that's happening on social media, I've been reporting on this on my own social media channels all year because it's just been so overwhelmingly flooded with uh, fake accounts um, and sock puppets uh, and outriders have also been doing roadshows um, everywhere in the country. Like there, there is so much money on the on the right until the point when the campaign proper started back in July, where there are now funding restrictions. Like there are there are less things they can do. And one reason for Labour 
not pushing back hard throughout the rest of this year would be to save that to save their funds which are very low <laughs> i think national have like the, 10 times the amount eight times more yeah in terms of large money donors the greens had more than labor yeah at least in one of the recent so I think they still i think thank still you james thank you james cameron <laughs> um so labor not not just uh keeping their their targeting narrow so far but keeping their campaign period narrow is just probably financially the best uh strategy for them and that's why i'm very interested to see what happens starting next week uh and i guess we'll move into the the next part of the cast now to talk about our coming campaign so chris hipkins is launching the labor campaign this afternoon we'll get a much clearer idea uh, about where and what they're going to fight on. Will we though? Will oh, we though? I think I think we have to. I like it's still Labour. Like it's still the Labour Party. Like the tropes about the Labour machine are real. No, no those things that that exist. They are significantly better campaigners than National. It doesn't matter how much money you pour into National. Apparently, National and Act both have like full time paid campaign teams. You know, and this is stuff that won't be captured. Um, and the uh, electoral commission financing stuff. This is just like these are people that we're paying to work for our party. But Labour are just really good at this stuff because they rely on volunteers and organisations that give a shit. And I think it's harder for Act and National to get those kind of people involved and beating the streets and knocking on doors uh, and being effective. So Hipkins in the last week has has said he's going to go on the attack on national that's been kind of framed as being a you know going to do a negative campaign i don't think it's going to kind of really uh take that path i think we're just going to be very happy to say national going to fuck you up that's not that's not a negative campaign so much as it is just laying out what the effects of a national act government would be he also did this the stand-up um late last week or early this week uh where he very clearly took aim at the bigotry that's uh kind of being promoted um, on the right, right wing of the party. he's Yeah, he's going to be happy to be forceful about this stuff. And I think if they're going to start tapping their uh, campaign funds now, things could shift pretty quickly. Uh, and I, I agree with you both. Like, current numbers, the right is, is going to narrowly win this. But I think both New Zealand First and ACT have overstepped with some of their more extreme content. People don't like that shit, man. Like... As much as people are like, New Zealand, they don't want this PC shit. Like, no, it's not that they don't want it, it's that they don't give a fuck. Like, when, when either side um, starts getting involved in these back and forths, um, and uh, New Zealand First and Active have kind of tied their election to some of this stuff, and it doesn't take much pushback for people to go, wait a sec, that's nasty. Yeah, yeah. I think, ironically, Middle New Zealand do want this PC shit. Like, in, in the sense that... Uh, fundamentally as much as you can like cast the runes and do a kind of cultural understanding of and you know a complex like layered society with class distinctions like New Zealand you know if there's one thing you can broadly say about New Zealand voters is we don't like the stress of having to like worry about conflict we're fundamentally quite a cowardly people right which can you know manifest as being better at following lockdown restrictions than other countries and it can manifest as allowing uh a financial capitalist class to accumulate a massive amount of uh, wealth without the kind of pushback that you'd see somewhere like France, right? So I think what is quite easy for Hipkins to do this election is to tie the kind of stuff that uh, Seymour and Peters are saying to National and say, look, I don't want to be talking about uh, policing who's going into bathrooms. I don't want to be talking about being scared about a minority of any kind. That's why his like bread and butter shtick is probably going to work quite well. And he can say like broadly quite basic stuff about like you shouldn't have to work until you're 67 to afford a retirement. And it's going to be really easy, I think. And it'll be like debate, uh, October surprise type stuff like that, I think, that will probably give him a bump at the last minute because Luxon won't know how to pivot on that stuff. Like Nicola Willis can train him as much as she as much as she likes. But uh, Hipkins is like a much more, you know, quote unquote negative campaigner than uh, Ardern would have been and he will like relentlessly attack the National Party 
and act like they have a plan that's not just you know seize power and maintain it for as long as possible <laughs> pretend that they have some kind of coherent vision but i think it'll work quite well um and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays i'm not saying it is going to work mm. I, I just think this is probably why labor have held off for so long and they never really they didn't hit 25 you know uh, and that allows them to build a momentum narrative now uh, and that's why i think he started talking about being the underdog coming into the campaign uh because if we start to see labor tick up past the mid 30s that's that could end up incredibly badly for national i think the next number one the speech hipkins gave late last week is like for all the shit that obviously i've given the labor party on this podcast and in other forums that's not cynical from him i do think he genuinely believes that and it's genuinely good that our center-left party still has that kind of pluralist universalist attitude of i want to be the you know i'm i'm in this and it was clever bit of rhetoric around their slogan it's like i'm in this for our pacific communities i'm in this for our lgbt communities i'm in this for everyone good yeah i mean compared to starmer's labor in the uk right exactly and um on balance new zealand is our conflict diverse but on on balance we are socially progressive on any of those questions um, and so to the, ex- I don't want this to be a cultural war election, um, because if you're the cannon fodder, uh, in that, um, dynamic, um, that's horrendous. And I don't think it needs to be, but I, I think if that's the direction it heads in, I don't think it's good for national will try national will want to avoid that. Um, they have the been trying to is, as well. They have been trying to and good. That's the dynamic we want. Um, but I don't know if Peters and Seymour will allow them to. Um, and it will be interesting to see if certain conversations are held with the ACT Party uh, by people who are in a place to do that. Like, David, you're on 15%. Shut the fuck up. Like, get out of get out of the fucking the weird mud. Just go back to talking about co-governance. You're bringing, you're letting the team down. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure those conversations will and probably are already happening with, you know, New Zealand Initiative freaks and like the worst possible people, uh, 100% making those inroads already, I'd imagine. But I don't think it's going to work for one big reason, which is that that is New Zealand First's path to power, right? Is that Peters can sell that stuff where Seymour is still kind of a neophyte around those kind of campaigns. Like Peters sounds, you know, 400% more convincing on all of that awful, like nasty rhetoric stuff um, in his big kind of town hall speeches that he gives. And the main thing David Seymour needs to do this election is keep Winston Peters below 5%. That's the biggest lever that's going to change the amount of power that ACT have after this election. And they know that, right? They're already attacking. That's a really... The dynamic between New Zealand First and ACT there is a really good point because the honestly, the biggest influence of, of who ends up in government is whether Peters is over or under 5%. Um, if they're over, it's over. If they're under, there's every chance. In fact, I would say there's a better chance that um, Labour hangs on. But that that benefits National and that benefits New Zealand First that does not benefit the ACT Party. So it's, exactly. a, it's a good bit of kind of... But I think I think the other point though about personalities is right. Seymour's problem fundamentally is he wants to be liked, which if you are trying to do the kind of politics that um or he wants to be broadly liked, whereas Peters is absolutely willing to be a fucking cunt. Enough of the electorate love him for it. Whether I it will be interesting to see that because we haven't actually seen Winston Peters that much in the media. And on the campaign trail, it will be interesting to see how he performs in the debates and in various other media contexts. Because despite, I thought, um, James Shaw's pretty good closing line of that, like, you know, Winston Peters is trying to beat cheat death and Chris Hopkins is trying to cheat taxes. Dude's old, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I think the to the extent that this can be a campaign that is Labour versus Act in New Zealand first and National versus the Greens. I think that's a very good outcome um, for anyone on the progressive left. Uh, it's a real shame that the Greens won't get to be on an equal footing with National in terms of tax stuff, because I think, you know, basically the credible plan on the left is the the Greens one, and they can absolutely rip pieces um, off all National planning. 
Similarly, I think if you've got a dynamic where Hipkins is talking about this kind of, you know, shut the fuck up, stop talking about wanting to blow up, um, you know, ministries representing minorities, um, get out of here with your weird culture, weird culture war shit. No one wants to hear it, David. That could play well for them. Well, um, we we talked about this earlier in the year um, around the kind of effect that the left white parties could could take, and that is just to treat everyone on the right as uh, quote unquote deeply unserious because there is nothing there, and I mean the Greens can treat Labour that way as well, uh, given the lack of effective policy being uh, announced or proposed. No, no one wants to talk about this shit. No one cares. Like, yeah. and if, if I were, um, if I were. Andrew Campbell advising uh, Hipkins how to respond when New Zealand First and Act are saying this stuff. I would just show him that that meme from the Babadook of the woman saying, why can't you just be normal <laughs> to a child? Because that's how he should talk about mm-hmm. it, right? Just like be normal, like just stop talking about weird shit that people don't care about. I'm trying to like do X. I'm trying to do Y. I think that's a very good kind of populist response. Yeah. Um, whilst doing the like multicultural society universalism that Rusty was talking about, like lifting everybody up. Um, but you don't need to get into the nitty gritty. You can say like, just be normal <laughs> to the right. Especially um, when national are being forced by the current conditions, the current environment to yeah. tap into that same message around, you no, know, what's what's important at the moment is the cost of living. Um, that's where people are really feeling it. You know, it's all bullshit from them, but they know that it's a strong enough uh, electoral drive that they're going to they're having to plaster it over their own rhetoric, right? So anyone to the left of that can subsume it, um, and and then you start to push out those more extreme parties. I I don't know if they'll be allowed to be that effective in that space. This is the other issue, um, and that's maybe where it comes to down to the debates being really important because there's less filter. Um, there's less editorializing. Uh, there's this opportunity for the Greens to just be absolutely ignored by the media and not reported on when they come out with good stuff that the electorate would actually like and everyone would vote for. There's going to be some incredible opportunities for James Shaw or Marama Davidson to be on that debate stage uh, and say, our tax cut is better. Like, the only that, issue is they're not going to be on the debate stage with Labour or National. Have, wait, has that been decided yet? Yeah, um, it hasn't been decided but because that's the what, point they I was won't make. be they won't what be it, not a chance what it would what it would require is the, um news hub and uh tvnz going we will not let you have the major party debate Absolutely. if you don't also appear in our minor party debate but, I mean, and that and they have 100 it will not happen i i mean i would i hope i'm wrong uh, it's like not, it's it's any media uh, people listening to this if you do not play hardball with the major parties in this be election. TV. It'll be better TV. It'll be better TV. People will love it. Um, but also, yeah, a whole bunch of people in this space have been talking about how this is the first, like, the polling showing some of the first MMP election stuff. It's the lowest major party vote share we've ever had. It is mm-hmm. a immense dereliction of duty to let Labour and National call the shots on this. Just mm-hmm. fucking put a... Just give them both a cabbage um, in their seats if they're not going to show up. <laughs> Fuck them. Like... You know, or or fine, don't send the Chris's, send um Willis and Sepaloni. I don't know, but it is just that getting that contrast between yeah, the 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 left minor parties and the right minor parties, um, and people's minds, I in in, in front of people, it is there are these systemic barriers that exist to that, and the major parties have power to throw around, you know. Um they would refuse to show up. I think that, you know, that's where it originally yeah. came from is from 2005 onwards, they refused to allow opportunities for worm riding by um, my yeah, parties. Pathetic. pathetic and cowardly. I think yeah. the other real risk is that it is damaging for the Greens to show up on a stage with New Zealand first. Like, I I don't think that ends well because as soon mm. as Winston Peters is on that stage, he just pulls everyone into the shit. I, I think it's almost unavoidable. You have to be you have to be so good. And I don't think either Shaw or Davidson have the on-camera chops um and ability to destroy him, destroy Peters in front of the entire country. That would be necessary to come out of that okay. I, I, I'd love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. Does what Rawari Waititi have it though? Because he's got Possibly. to come back it's pretty to good. come back to come back to um the midweek cast, he's got the source. 
Like he absolutely, <laughs> I don't know. The juice, if, the juice. The juice, the juice, the sauce. The, like he, he's got it, man. Um, and uh, we can probably do debate previews when we get closer to it. But um, yeah, I think that'll, what was our original point? Labour are launching the campaign today. What's the shape of their campaign going to be? Um, <laughs> hey, good swim back. Yeah. Uh, and then National launching tomorrow, I yeah, assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of broadly uninspiring. And it's because they're both trapped in by the assumptions that they they have to make um, and could end up being a small target. I think the the thing with Labour that I've been hoping for is kind of that they learn from how Labour won in 2005. And broadly speaking, it was a few significant economically populist policies that people wanted to vote for, interest rate student loans being the, the largest one, and a very bare majority of the country not being screaming racists. Fortunately, I still think a maybe slightly less bare majority now um, of the country are not screeching racists, um, or at least don't want to be perceived as such. Um, so I think there's that. There's no there's no big bribe coming. I don't see Hipkins announcing free dental care tomorrow. There's no money. Uh, well, this afternoon, there's no money. Um, but to the extent that they can run on a Here's a list of all of the good shit we've done that National are going to repeal day one. That's probably... That's the negative angle, right? That's the but it, it, it's, it's negative, but it doesn't have to be personally negative. No, no, exactly. It's, yeah. we, we are good, they are bad. Vote for good thing, not for bad thing. Um, which I'm sure will... He, there's this perception in the media that, that Hipkins is this like bullying, debatey scrapper based on performances in the house and maybe this is true like he you know you don't get to be leader of the house without having a, a bit of that to you but that's never been my perception of him he's sort of vaguely affable slightly nervous a little bit you know gets a bit deer in headlights but is is clearly very confident so but if it if what the beltway says about him there is true and that's the campaign he's going to run yeah good work i think to go back a little to what you were saying about uh, the 2005, like 2005 is the comparison I've been making, but I, for a long time, as listeners to this cast will know, but the assumption I was making is that they'd pull a rabbit out of their hat and it's increasingly clear that they're scraping around the inside of the hat and there's no rabbits in there for them because they refuse to put one in. Um, there's got some like, some kind of smears of viscera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right that the the thing that's working for them is the kind of the bare majority of of non-bigots uh in the country is, is still there um and i think more importantly the the media is much more sympathetic to a socially progressive kind of agenda than it was in 2004 2005 opinion um, colonists aside yeah yeah sure sure they're still you know targeting the reactionaries but uh, yeah i think in general kind of uh gallery journos like to see themselves as socially progressive center-left liberal nice people um some of them have even met foreign people or trans people and didn't immediately punch them on site so that's working for them um there's a you know slightly generational changing of the guard that i think can be made too much of but is also a thing like if you look at the faces of people uh deciding the kind of news agenda in 2023 it's not the people who were deciding it in uh 2004 after the Ottawa uh debacle and i think that's like that's a really important thing to bear in mind like these these their opinions are more important than the uh man and woman on the street because they can shape the stuff and put narrative headlines out and on saturday sunday uh big debate shows the kind of questions being asked will be framed in a way that wouldn't have happened going on what 20 years ago like stuff changes right uh, and i think for the better when it comes to this kind of stuff like rainbow coalition minority rights stuff is just much more kind of mainstreamed like we saw that around the um the successes after the uh, turfy anti-trans uh, British lady came here, and the the polling around that was just you know stark. It was like we don't want that shit, basically, uh, which I think works really well. And like journalists are on the more socially progressive end of that stuff, and they're yeah. not they're not going to give Christopher Luxon carte blanche to lean into that acting New Zealand first stuff. In fact, they're going to keep like punishing him for even looking like he might. And there's probably a lot of like private distaste for his religious extremism um, that while they're sort of 
chastened and unwilling to talk about in public, I think journalists probably still are, you know, uncomfortable with, to say the least. I think that's something that we should, we do need to be keeping an eye on um, in the selection campaign as well. Um, just recently, there was a, uh, you know, fascist uh, content creator here, um, Avi Yemeni, uh, who was trying to court controversy and get some big media headlines and, and draw some of that stuff in. It just didn't go off. Uh, but in a couple of weeks, uh, the uh, British anti-trans campaigner is back uh, and it'll be, yeah, something to keep an eye on whether or not political parties are pulled into that um, and how much is generated uh, around that. And we just hope that it's not well, at this point. It's um, it's time for some game theory. Like, oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> it's what I was saying before, right? I think there are all these different leaders. Like, we can't really think about this as a left-right thing. Like, that's Winston Peters' path to power, so he's going to talk about it. But Winston Peters' path to power hurts David Seymour. So David Seymour has to talk about it to the extent that it can shut out uh, Winston Peters and maintain 1% of those reactionary votes who care about that stuff. Uh, and that hurts National. ACT doesn't give a shit as long as the right's going to win, right? So David Seymour can be uh, Education Minister and Deputy Prime Minister. So that's the like that's the uneasy kind of tension that's going to exist every time these, you know, quote-unquote culture war, quote-unquote minority rights issues come up, right? However you want to frame that. So we have to main- maintain the um, analysis, I think. It's really important that those people have different interests, right? It's not, it's not that the right has this um, unified... One- unified yeah. theory of power right but all those different individuals the kind of iron law institution stuff right they all care about themselves more than they care about their faction winning or success whatever that metric means for them and this is true within parties as well and i think that's yeah. there are actually factions within act now i think is the interesting thing and you've seen that with some of some of the landmines that turned out to be hiding down their campaign list and i don't think Whoops. that's whoops i know oh, and maybe already... further up their list apparently well exactly but the other thing with Axe Dynamic is their second best outcome is obviously they want to be in government, but if National do lose, that's going to be a bad time for the National Party, whereas oh, yeah. Act are more stable. I can't see them. I can't see anyone kicking Seymour out, and he gets to be, you know, Russell Norman circa 2012. Yeah. Um, you know, David Seymour is the real leader of the opposition, um, which is where he was heading in you know, before Luxon took over. Um, and in terms of the relative levels of power that uh, the ACT Party would get to hold in a, you know, eventual right-wing government, um, that has a real influence. And in terms of the agenda that drives them um, and that is the source of their funding, uh, the influence that that agenda will get to have in any eventual um, right-wing government will also reflect that balance. So no politician ever wants to lose an election, but in terms of second best outcomes, mm-hmm. ACT is in a better position if they lose the National or New Zealand First. I mean, if New Zealand First don't get back, surely they're done. I mean, surely they are, they, at this point. Like, Peter doesn't have long left, and he's the only thing that keeps it going. And he's never he's never been able to, yeah, oh, we've talked pa- about this before, that on, yeah. he's never been psychically capable of passing the baton. Um, and no one actually, I think, Philip, this is a point that you, you know, never bet on Shane Jones winning an election. Yeah. I yeah, think he's constitutionally like, incapable. As, as long as we're... um. Kind of pushing the extrapolation in, in interesting directions. Um, we've talked about this previously as well. One of the left's win conditions for this election, the polling getting to a point where the right-wing parties burn each other alive, where it, it, it become, where the idea or the possibility uh, that survival becomes a, a future concern, that they start going after each other with their huge war chests, um, and you start to see some really nasty shit coming out on that side of the table rather than the targeting of left-wing politicians that the rest of this year has been typified by. And I, because I want to be like, is this conspiratorial? Maybe. But keep in mind that all the problems that happened in, uh, among the Labour ministers has been a very slow march targeting the best performer for Labour at any given time uh, during the course of the last 18 months I don't um, think that's true of the Stuart Nash um, allegations. Yeah, well, he, well, 
he's not the best performer either. So, <laughs> but they went after Mahuta first of all. Keep that in mind. And they've just started trying to go after uh, Karen McAnulty as well um, with some of this uh, stuff around comms breaking down uh, in the Hawks Bay. So, well, I, I think we are going to get some nastier stuff. Where is that going to fall? I don't know. Um, in the last week, it's fallen on the act list. That's where some of this oppo research has has come to the fore. Uh, and with even the spinoff, um, you know, who, who I think we can only describe as like act party supporters at this stage and Toby Manhire in particular. Uh, he went after Mark Cameron um, for- Are we just and... are we just trying to start beef at this point? No, I mean, this is just like- uh, Always. This is objective analysis, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, he went after Mark Cameron for these comments he was making uh, pre-2020 um, on social media. And he now says he's a changed man, but come on, like no one believes that. Uh, that, that would be unheard of even three months ago. Uh, when the spinoff was singing the praises of the act party as uh, somehow uh, keeping everything under wraps and no one being insane. Seymour specifically, I think that is, yeah. you know, singing the praises the of Seymour and then um, by extension Van Velden on the libertarian spectrum are comparatively normal. Um, but the further down the list you go, the, the deeper in you get. I don't, and I don't think this is the, I, well, maybe this is hope on my part. I don't think it's the end of it. Um, and the same no, for the no, first be. list. And the same for a couple of nationals electorate yeah. candidates, right? Like we talk about the different dynamics between parties. There's the different factions within the national party. A couple of their, we've said this before, but the, the candidates they're running in basically all of their safe seats in central and south Auckland are part of the evangelical wing. Uh, and I suspect are going to make some statements that in the context of debates, especially debates where the cooker faction and the audience is large, unscripted, uncontrolled media environment, things are going to happen. And then Luxon and Willis are going to have to spend a lot of time walking that back. And they already have over the course of this year so far. Yeah. You know, they've they've said things um on the record uh in response to things from the audience, um, or unprompted sometimes, where they've immediately had to do a please explain. Um, the sex education stuff being like one of the really clear examples in that space. Uh, but like, you know, this is all going to be really fun for people like us who are, who are following this and like, ah, you guys fucked up. But I'd rather it wasn't. I, you know, I'd rather we weren't relying on these kind of gotchas. I, I also just absolutely do not want any of these people representing um, the country um, or making decisions for, for New Zealand because, you know, there's a point where representation is bad in terms of what the outcomes are. Like I, I don't, I don't want uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists uh, being represented in Parliament. Thank you very much. Uh, that is counter to democracy. It's counter to a, a functioning uh, state uh, and society. But if this stuff doesn't really matter, except in narrative terms, like it'll be about uh, the stability of the party or like these factions of the party fighting each other and. Could, could you really trust this party to run a government? That's all well and good. And, you know, some media and uh, other political parties might be using that as a uh, an homunculus to, to uh, push the narrative against their opposition. But this is a, more than almost any other election. This should be the policy election. Talking about the substance of what it means to have QAnon and other far-right adjacent actors... Um, in positions of power within parliamentary parties is too scary to contemplate. That's it comes it comes back to the New Zealand exceptionalism point is yeah. I don't I think part of the reason Active got such an easy run is because people don't want to grapple with what having a party who are getting funding from the same sources as and taking the same line as Julian Batchelor um in Parliament says about us as a country because we want to believe you know we want to believe we're different, that we're not like that. And well, let's show so it. Let's fucking show the, it. The only frame that is allowed is oh, wacky individual story, and yeah. it's like let's not talk about the greater meeting because it's too scary to acknowledge. Let's talk about what happens when we remove the um, Human Rights Commission um, and all these ministries that are tasked with raising, you know, multiple uh, geographic measures for minorities like that, that there are real things that occur we enact these policies and these right-wing parties want to do that 
we can have that discussion where you know we're we're big enough you know we're we're adults we don't need to try and tie it to some freak uh who then doesn't even get kicked out of the party because they apologize and they're a white guy where do we think this goes where do we think this goes yeah look i know we're nowhere good <laughs> because yeah as uh rusty was saying like a lot of the safe seats seem to be uh, for the nats uh selection seem to be going to the ascendant um evangelicals um which isn't which isn't a good isn't going to have a good flow on effect and then having them on the same stage as new zealand first's kind of reactionary climate change denying anti-trans racists and people in the act party who i would describe as just as extreme for the most part but in in different more genteel ways perhaps isn't going to be good right because we're going to have people asking questions as you say and it's going to be hard to not tie those people together i mean we have what's his name greg fleming running in he's got a really nasty history there and there's there's going to be a bunch of those people right who are lower have a lower profile or a less well recorded history but just as nasty uh backgrounds and i'm sure the more of those names are coming up the more journalists are digging into that stuff and hopefully we see some of it but as you're saying kyle like this is only going to capital m matter to the media if it becomes a narrative and you know all these individual stories in the world doesn't doesn't make a a pile right (laughs) how many grains of sand does it take it's so frustrating to me that the main way this has been approached is like factional stuff where hooten throws his toys every like six months um and you know they talk about the um national party taliban and stuff you're like mate like these guys are worse than the taliban like stop stop putting a foreign name on like u.s centric christian evangelism because it's not factional like in so much as there's an entryism has occurred within the national party and it is active and planned and it is very clear to see that it's happened. It's about critical mass. It's not about one or two people uh, coming in with uh, very right-wing Christian ideas. It's about an attempt to seize power within a major party because these people know they can't start a party themselves because every single one that they try and do that with falls over and fails because no one like agrees with their ideology. Oh, are you uh, saying you're not going to be voting for Alfred Ngaro's New Zeal party? Is, uh, I'm not saying one way or the other. Um, whether <laughs> keeping I'll... your cards close to your chest. <laughs> this is the problem. There's just so many parties to choose from um, and so many options to weigh up. And I think you really need to get into, like, it's important to focus on the policies and kind of, you know, some of what Liz Gunn uh, and Loyal New Zealand have been saying. You know, you've got to cons- you've got that to consider. Um, you've got to make sure that you actually know which f- com- fractal combination of freedoms parties um, <laughs> Brian Tamaki is leading at the moment and exactly how to vote for them and what they're called at any given moment. So there's there's a lot to consider. So I think I wouldn't be hasty in immediately jumping to New Zeal um, as as um, as the the best choice. That's a fair criticism. Yeah, I think I, we should we should wrap this up soon. But one of the things that is like quite frustrating to me is that you know you have these Liz guns and, and the like who are really really far out there like this shouldn't even be in the conversation but there are certain subsections of, of liberal media and you know some of, I'll say as well like some of these people are really good but they have an outsized focus uh on these people that do not matter because it is a prime dunking material and they just they're just like I'm gonna fucking dunk this like I don't give a shit like <laughs> yes keep track of the stuff like notice it report on it but this isn't where the risk is this isn't and don't pretend that this is where the risk is if there's a a leading thread where you can say okay so because of this 0.1 percent party being absolutely insane that might that is push that seems to be currently pushing act to take up some of this rhetoric that's important but i i don't need like two or three stories a week about some of these people like, and the charismatic freaks make for good headlines, but they're not the threat. No, and also they're not often charismatic um, in, in the New Zealand context. They just are freaks uh, and they are unhinged um, and they are worth reporting on, but they're not worth dominating the reporting. I mean, when you have climate change deniers and outright bigots in the ACT Party who are going In the to National get, Party as well. And who are going to get into Parliament, 100% going to get into Parliament next term, why are you writing any takes about any party polling, you know, less than 0.5%? Like these people don't stand a chance. They don't have 
the effect uh, normalizes the mainstream parties who harbor these ideas because it's like, oh, they're not that crazy though. Like, no, they and I think you made and I think you made this point uh, a few casts ago, Kyle. But if if your justification as a journalist for writing an article is that it's a it's a wacky story or people are going to read it, why are you stopping there? Like, there are wackier stories. There are weirder things you could write about. Don't write about politics. No one cares. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's much weirder shit going on. Write about that if you if you just want to write about a weirdo um and keep political analysis to people who who matter Look, if you want to write about a weirdo scary. approach any one of us <laughs> i got plenty of content for you absolutely um final final bit for for this episode um what do we think is going to come out of labor and nationals campaign launches this weekend rusty you want to kick us off i honestly can't think of what labor again <laughs> What's a policy that's popular that hasn't already happened and that doesn't cost anything? Because <laughs> that's th those are the three criteria that Labour have to deal with. Honestly, couldn't tell you. And National's current theme is probably cost of living, and that's what they're foregrounding, so it will be something else related to that. But I'm not going to make predictions that uh, turn out to be wrong. But I, I think main prediction is... It's it's fucking all noise, no no horses on no stake. Yeah, it's gonna be um euphemistically policy light weekend, I think. Um and probably characterized as negative um by the establishment media, regardless of what that looks like, you know. Um National can go on the negative, so to speak, by just talking about cost of living and saying that Labour's made it harder. Oh no, that's aspirational. People, blah blah blah. But right, I mean that it's also negative. <laughs> and then Hipkins can quote unquote go on the negative by saying all the damaging stuff that National's gonna do, uh, which you know we would describe as just talking about your opposition, but <laughs> you know, you can call that negative if you want. Which we would just call basic facts often. Yeah, negative I think facts. I think you're right. Um I, I think there are still, and you know, because we we've been talking about this for like all term, like all, all political term. We've been talking about Labour could have one big thing. And they could hang their election hopes on that. And this is what they should do. And they just haven't. And I think you were saying earlier, it's probably too late for that. It, yeah, it probably is. They might still do it. I don't know, though. Like, it's <clears throat> the strategy here is so uh, obfuscated as to as to what they're what they're trying to do. We'll, we'll potentially have a clear idea, clear idea coming into next week. I'd love to. I'd love to be able to say, OK, this is what I think they're doing. Will it work or not? Um, I think there probably are some policy options for the what would be good and wouldn't cost anything to do with like moving funding across buckets where they can pretend like they are changing something. One thing I keep an eye out for is an attack by Labour on New Zealand First's electorate, like trying to raid them with regional stuff. That is probably one of the the big ones that I keep an eye out for. Um, thinking back to the PGF. Uh, which they did in concert with New Zealand First during the 2017 um, government, that and maybe doing stuff around uh, the Climate Recovery Fund um, and moving stuff around there, where it would be a possibility because there's no way Labour doesn't understand what we've been talking about this cast um, about. Northland to Wairarapa is Winston's stomping ground. It's where they've been overwhelmingly the most popular their entire existence, and that's the area that's been most affected by the hurricanes and if labor don't offer them something winston will at yep. least be a vehicle for that resentment of not getting the response that well, christchurch got after the earthquakes i said that this week um when that uh there's a news piece uh in the week where uh people on the ground were saying we just don't have the funding we, we need it people are getting burnt out i was like okay labor go just make an emergency fund say we're borrowing because this is an emergency this is a crisis this is what we're good at and just pour money into the east coast like that's the kind of thing they could do will will they i don't know i don't know but yeah keep keep listening in uh everyone uh we will have maybe less rambling uh current events episodes uh as there are the subsequent weeks of this campaign uh have more stuff happening uh and and more things to dig into if you want to keep up to date with the campaign and uh, political and media news, uh, add us to your podcast, uh, Rotunda. We'll be here every week. We're going to be trying to do more midweek casts as the campaign intensifies, hoping to do a more extensive cast next week about the different tax plans of the party. That might be too dry 
for some people's sensibilities, but if you want to uh, have some analysis around that, do tune in. We had a cast out earlier this week about the rightward turn and liberal democracies, which I had a lot of fun doing. So uh, go and have a listen to that. Uh, we'll try and get some more articles out as well. Patreon's in the summary. Keep an eye out for uh, fundraising stuff that we are trying to scrabble together um, as a campaign. Uh, but otherwise, share it around. Uh, talk to people. Have conversations uh, with people if you you want to get them on board. And tell people to vote for your favorite party. Convince them. Have those discussions. Let them know that the best tax cut possible is under the Greens. That's been another week of One of 200. We'll catch you next time. Our fences are thin, I'm living a pointless life, but I'm learning all your lessons. Fucking politics is no distinction. The words are now. It's paid with good intentions. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say when they cross us as a Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell